Hello, and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Japanese Studies at the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures, in collaboration with the University of East Anglia. I'm your host, Oliver Moxham, Research Project Coordinator at the Sainsbury Institute and Researcher of Language and Japanese War Heritage. This week we're joined by Viviana Andrescu, Associate Professor of Justice Administration at the University of Louisville, to discuss public opinion on capital punishment in Japan. Viviana's 2020 article, Public Opinion and the Death Penalty in Japan, took a look at over 2,500 responses of the Japanese General Social Survey to gauge who supports the death penalty and who would recommend it as a member of the relatively new citizen justice system. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, good afternoon, Viviana. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So first of all, we'd like to know a bit more about you. Can you tell us about your area of expertise and how your interests have brought you there? Sure. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Criminal Justice at the University of Louisville right now. And my research focus is on violent crime, violent victimization and, and fewer crime, but also my research interest uh, include social justice issues as they relate to social minorities, such as immigrants, sexual minorities, or ethnic and racial minorities. My uh, dissertation was based on a spatial and statistical macro-level analysis of the effects of various structural and cultural factors on homicidal violence in Appalachia, which is a large area in the United States. It includes over 1,000 counties and goes through 13 states from New York to the south on the eastern part of the country. I conduct pretty much quantitative comparative studies, and most of them are based on empirical tests of criminological theories. My interest in death penalty and public attitudes toward death penalty started in the 90s. And during my graduate studies at the University of Louisville, two of my professors, Tom Kyle and Ajana Rovito, were exploring at the time death penalty issues in Kentucky. Kentucky is one of the U.S. states that still retains death penalty. And they're both very generous, and they share their data that I later use for my master thesis. I was interested to see what characteristics have people who support or oppose death penalty, but I was more interested in seeing if people would change their opinions if given the opportunity to choose between an alternative sentence to death, which would be life in prison without the possibility of parole. And in the particular survey that I use, the question actually ask respondent if they would select this and restitution to the victim's family is being made. And about 70% of the respondents initially expressed support for death penalty, but then when asked to select the additional alternative, more than half of them changed their opinion. So in the end, about 38% 
in the entire sample show support for the death penalty. And I'm mentioning that because many people who, who examine the correlates of attitudes toward death penalty argue that the structure of the questions actually reflect uh, something that might not be exactly close to, to reality. So for unknown reasons, um, I was always fascinated with uh, Japan and the beauty of the country and, and its culture. And I guess curiosity prompted me more than anything to, to try to understand why a pacifist country like Japan, a country that is you know, the safest in the world, a country that, based on my readings, has a, a cultural affinity for nonviolence and a very low tolerance for anger and aggression, would still retain death penalty. I had a chance to find data and to get some answers to my question. I see. Fascinating. So let's begin with putting the death penalty in Japan into context. Most developed countries have abolished the death penalty, with uh, Japan, the USA, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, and South Korea being the notable exceptions. These systems vary from country to country, so could you explain what Japan's judicial process is on these matters? Yes, I, I will try. Yeah, you're right. Uh, most of the countries in the world right now abolish death penalty in law or in practice, Based on Amnesty International data, uh, there are about 108 countries in the world that abolish death penalty in, in law, and overall 144, as I said, so that, that's about 70% of, of the countries that uh, even if they didn't abolish, many of them didn't uh, impose death penalty. Uh, for more than 10 years or had moratorium on death penalty. Uh, South Korea, for instance, that retains a death penalty statute, didn't execute anybody in the past 25 years. In the United States also, death penalty exists at the federal level, but out of 50 states, 23 abolished death penalty. 23-plus District of Columbia. So in the United States, support for death penalty tends to decrease a little bit. Not the same thing happens in Japan. And Japan, it's interesting because centuries ago, it was the first country in the world that actually abolished death penalty. And for about 300 years, in the 9th century up to the 12th century, Nobody was executed in the country. In Japan also, it was a 40-month moratorium between 1989 and 1993. And I suspect some people uh, hope that this might happen again in recent years because there are no executions about two, two years between December 2019 and December 2021. Nobody was executed in Japan. However, four months after the new prime minister was elected, uh, three people were executed on December 21st last year. Now, to go back to your question, criminal offenses committed by Japanese citizens who are 20 years old or older 
some people are younger than than 20 are minors in in Japan are judged and, and penalized according to the penal code enacted in 1907 and there are several other acts that regulate punishments for specified crimes of course like in any country the most common crime in the United States, in Japan, based on uh, statistical information, are property crimes, thefts in particular. Murders, like in any country, are rare events. And Japan has probably one of the lowest murder rates in the world. For instance, in the United States right now, in the past two years, the murder rate increased unfortunately, and it's now similar to the murder rate in the 90s, so about 6.4 people per 100,000 individuals have been killed. While in Japan, a third of a percent per 100,000 people have been killed. So in other words, if three people out of one million people are murdered in Japan, in the United States, there are 64 people who are killed out of 1 million people. The criminal justice system in Japan was affected by some change a bit more than a decade ago. Uh, So in uh, 2009, a new mixed jury system was created in Japan. The purpose of this initiative was to increase civic engagement in, in the criminal justice system and to, to increase the democratic procedures and to decrease bias, I suspect. And this lay assessor system, or Saiban in is, however, different from the jury system in the United Kingdom and in the United States. Under this new system, six lay judges, which are randomly selected from electoral rolls, sit alongside three professional judges and hand down rulings by majority. That means that out of nine people, if five recommend the convictions, uh, this is going to take place. However, uh, in this group of five, there needs to be at least one judge. And smaller panels uh, that include uh, four lay judges and one professional judge may be also used when the facts identified during pre-trial procedures are undisputed. Like, you know, when a defendant confesses committing to the crime, they can have smaller panels. The role of the lay judges, however, are constrained and legal interpretations and determinations remain with the professional judges. And in any judicial decision, professional judges have a veto power. Defendants can be sentenced to death by district courts. And like in the United States, they have the right to appeal the decision. And the case moves to a superior court, to a higher court, and then to the Supreme Court. I don't know much about the right of appeals. I don't know how many appeals in a capital case defendants have the right to pursue. But uh, it looks like it's more than three. For instance, one of the defendants who, who died in prison, he was 89, 
and he died five, six years ago, claiming his innocence, he was pursuing his AIDS appeal. So the data varies, so I can be 100% sure what's the correct number, but um, Japan's Innocent Project that keeps data on death penalty in Japan lists right now 118 people on death row. Eight of them are women, six of them are foreigners and non-Japanese convicts, and five of them committed a crime as minors, so they are younger than 20 when they committed a crime. So there aren't too many. It's, it's, it's a pretty low number, especially comparing that figure to data from the United States, where there are now about 4,500 people on death row, and 44 of them federal death row. I see. So just to um, get the Japanese system right in my head, so you have civilian judges, and do they recommend the sentence? Do they just decide whether someone is innocent or guilty, like in the juries? Yeah, guilty? yeah, they, they, they recommend a sentence, and as I said, if five of them agree, for instance, and they say, well, we vote for death penalty, then this is a conviction. And uh, you have lay judges in, in district courts, but in the upper level courts, you do not. So at higher courts, there are three judges, and they can appeal the decision there too. And it moves to Supreme Court that has uh, five judges. So there are no lay jurors in, in those courts. I see. That's a, it seems like quite a lot of responsibility to put on a civilian compared to what we do in Western juries. Yes, this is true. And it's interesting that I was reading uh, a couple of years ago that more than one million people in Japan have been asked to serve as a lay judge, and about 90,000 of them up to 2019 served, but many didn't want to, you know, found reasons to avoid serving as a lay judge. So those who eventually agree to do that, I don't know how representative they are of the entire population. So it might be a process of self-selection. And something that also was interesting was that after the system was instituted in Japan, sentences became harsher than they used before. So that's why I suspect that people who agree to serve might be those who think that, you know, crime is increasing in Japan and that harsher punishment should be imposed. Interesting. So on that note, high-profile cases such as the Aum Shinrikyo cult leader Shoko Asahara, who was responsible for the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin attack, these cases invariably lead to a death penalty verdict. But what types of crimes in Japan generally lead to prosecutors seeking the death penalty? Yeah, you're right. Those uh, high-profile cases that involve multiple murders are more likely to get the death penalty. And in Japan, and according to their penal code, murder, in particular aggravated murder, is eligible for the death penalty. So the prosecutor can seek the death penalty. The crimes of homicide, however, that are stipulated in the penal code include homicides, parricides, which means a killing of a parent, preparation of homicide, inducing 
or aiding suicide, homicide with consent, and attempts of homicide. Not all those types of homicides are subject to the death penalty, as a Japanese uh, professor, Mori, recently wrote in a paper that was published in 2020 about the current effect of, of death penalty in, in Japan. For instance, preparation of homicide-inducing or aiding suicide and homicide with consent are not eligible for death penalty. If you look at uh, people who are on death row in Japan right now, you'll see that more than 90% of those 118 cases involve two victims at least. So that doesn't mean that if somebody killed only one person, he cannot get death penalty because that, that happened. It doesn't happen only in murder cases. For instance, on death row now, it's a person who was involved in Red Army activities in the 70s and got uh, death penalty. Arson as a cause of death, it's a crime that is eligible for death. Murder that took place during the commission of another crime, like robbery, for instance, that ended up robbery and murder, it's more likely to get death penalty. Building uh, bombs due to, to people who received the death penalty because of that. Parasites also, murder for hire, was a case of a convict who, who killed a woman, so that was on more than, than one person, but the commission of the crime uh, was uh, during a parole period. He, he was parole. He had a life sentence and got out of prison and killed this uh, older lady, and then he got death penalty. So in general, murder cases, more than two people being killed, they are more likely to secure a death penalty. But again, a Japanese scholar, Norio Takahashi, was talking about nine criteria. They are generally used in deliberations. So lay judges and uh, particular and uh, the professional judges, they make an assessment based on uh, the degree of viciousness, uh, the motivation behind the crime, the manner in which the victim has been killed, the outcome of the crime, meaning the number of victims, and this is considered like the most important motives on deciding criminal liability. They also take into account the feelings of the victim's family members, the impact of uh, the crime on the Japanese society, the defendant's age, I don't know, we would expect that they would be more lenient if a person is younger, but uh, as I was saying earlier, there are five individuals on death row now who committed the crime as minors. Also, they consider the previous criminal records and the degree of remorse shown by the defendant. So I don't know exactly who gets life in prison and who doesn't. I couldn't find information about that. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but based on the data included in the study that I mentioned earlier, written by Professor Mori, who conducted a time series analysis of murder rates and, and the effect of death sentences and life imprisonment, it looked like the, the average 
rate for a life imprisonment and death sentences was pretty much the same, if I remember correctly. But again, I suspect that uh, if there is only one victim involved, that uh, defendant is more likely to get life in prison. Different from the United States, in Japan, there isn't a sentence like life in prison without the possibility of parole that is here. But when you get a life sentence, based on what I've read, the chances to get out earlier of the prison are pretty slim. But around 10 people get out before they, they, they die every year. So 10 who, who get a life sentence. And in, in any case, the imprisonment rate in, in Japan is uh, pretty low, especially compared to the United States that keeps incarcerating people. So the imprisonment rate here, it's about 665 per 100,000 people, where in Japan, it's 39 per 100,000. Yeah, so I couldn't find any information about the actual number of people who have life sentences in Japan, but probably it's not very high. It might be comparable to those who are on death row. I see. Thank you. Let's turn to your 2020 article now titled Public Opinion and the Death Penalty in Japan. Your study takes a look at trends amongst retentionists and abolitionists, that is, those for and against the death penalty. Could you give us an overview of your findings? Yeah, sure. Ted Hughes and, and I, Ted is my colleague, we work on this analysis uh, a couple of years ago. And as I mentioned earlier, I was planning to analyze data on death penalty in Japan uh, for some time, but I couldn't find the proper data. And uh, our study is based on Japan's General Social Survey, which is very similar to the General Social Survey that is used in the United States on a yearly basis. And it's a secondary data analysis. And the survey that we used was from 2010. At that time, it was only one more recent available from, from 2012. And I remember one of the anonymous reviewers asked why we didn't use the more recent one. And I didn't because the most recent one didn't include any information about the new lay judge system. And I was interested in, uh, in that particular issue. Uh, so the main goal of the analysis was to identify the characteristics of people who have different opinions toward death penalty. Most studies tend to use the dichotomy and say, well, who, who are those who favor and who are those who oppose the sentence? Um, I was interested in those who are undecided because they can go one way or another. And especially if there are nonprofit organizations in, in Japan and other groups who would like to see a change in the legislation and would like to see death penalty abolished, you know, they might be interested in focusing their attention on this group of, of people who are undecided in the case they, they are more likely to be like those who oppose death penalty. I didn't know what findings are going to be. So studies that try to um, 
explain variations in, in attitudes toward punishment and harsh punishments in particular, like death penalty, generally used to theoretical perspectives. So in order to understand death penalty, uh, social scientists argue that there are differences in opinions as a result of uh, people's differences uh, in, in basic political and social values. And uh, this is called the symbolic perspective, but also as a result of variations in, in people's um, crime victimization experience, crime concerns in, in general. This is called the instrumental perspective. And according to the instrumental uh, hypothesis and according to, to the pragmatic theory formulated by uh, Tyler and Weber in the 80s, uh, citizens who favor the death penalty do so pragmatically. So this is an utilitarian explanation of public attitudes toward death penalty. So people favor death penalty because they believe that would have a deterrent effect a crime deterrent effect would reduce crime levels. So the variables that we included in the analysis were trying to reflect those perspectives. So some of the variables as they relate to instrumental factors or relate to instrumental factors like being a crime victim and having a high level of fear of crime and showing dissatisfaction with crime control were part of the instrumental factors and social trust. So social trust as a measure of social capital, for instance, institutional trust, uh, uh, civic engagement, religiosity were variables that uh, would capture the, the symbolic perspective. And before I tell you briefly what the findings were, I can give you a short picture of the sample that was used. So the sample included about 2,500 individuals who was representative of Japan's adult population at the time. And respondents were asked their attitude toward death penalty and different from some official polls conducted every five years in Japan that ask questions in a manner that it's a little bit strange. In the general social survey, respondents were asked if they agree with death penalty, uh, if they disagree, or if they don't know. So 65.2% of the time show support for death penalty, and a relatively large number, so about one in, in four respondents, 26%, were undecided. And those who disagree with death penalty were about 9%, so 8.7%. Crime victimization experience, so respondents were asking, and for that particular variable, I remember I used two questions. Uh, so during the past year, did anyone take something directly from you by using force? Or during the past year, did anyone break into your house? And those who answered yes at any of those two questions were labeled victims of crime. So only 3.3% of the respondents acknowledge some, some victimization. 
which was very interesting, was that more than half of the respondents, 58%, show a relatively high level of fear of crime, fear of walking alone at night in your own neighborhood, which is generally a, a question that is frequently used when assessing one's level of fear of crime. So almost uh, 59%, so 58.6% said they're afraid to, to walk at night. About a third of the respondents show dissatisfaction with crime control measures. About 65% show more punitive attitudes. They said that courts should be harsher. And when asked about the late judge system, again, the service conducted in 2010 and the system when this introduced the year before. So 50.5% said that they were hesitate to recommend the death penalty, even if 65 originally said that they would favor the death penalty. Regarding symbolic factors, the level of institutional trust, trust in three governmental institutions wasn't particularly high in Japan. So on a scale from one to three was below the midpoint, was 1.61. Trust in courts, trust in the police can be consider average. Social trust, which I says based on a question regarding one's views of humankind, was higher than average. So on a scale from one to four, where four would be like the midpoint, the average for that was like 4.64. So indicating that in general, Japanese trust their fellow citizens. Regarding seating engagement, which in this particular case, the question that we used to measure seating engagement was one that asked respondents if they would support the citizen judge system. Most of them didn't at the time. So 43% said that they would support. And the majority, 57 said they didn't. The one's religious practice was used as a measure of religiosity. So respondents who, who said that they practice a religion were compared to those who said that they don't have any religious affiliation or that the family belongs to some religious denomination, but they don't practice. So those who, who said that they practice a religion, the percentage was quite low, 12.4% in the sample. About 54% of the respondents were females, and about 10% of them were 30 years old and younger. And age was used in this case because some prior studies conducted in Japan, I believe, was a study conducted in the 70s, and they found that younger people tend to have different opinions toward death penalty than people who are 30 and older. Other variables that are typically used in studies conducted in the United States weren't included here because preliminary analyses show that there are not significant differences. For instance, in the United States, Republicans and, and people who have more conservative views are more likely to support death penalty. While in Japan, those with liberal views or, or having liberal views was positively correlated to opposition to death penalty, but the correlation was so small, was, was close to zero, that didn't have any impact. Now, regarding the findings of the multivariate analysis, there are three 
conversions possibly between opponents and supporters and those who were undecided and supporters of death penalty and undecided compared to uh, those who showed opposition to death penalty. I'm just going to talk about two comparisons that I think are, were more interesting. So based on, on our results, those who show support for death penalty in Japan were more likely to be dissatisfied with crime control policies. They had stronger punitive attitudes. They are more likely to recommend death penalty if elected to serve as a lay judge. They had a lower level of social trust. They were less supportive of the lay judge system, the mixed criminal justice system, and they were significantly less likely to practice a religion. Being a crime victim and having a higher level of crime didn't differentiate opponents from supporters in Japan. When we look at differences or similarities between the undecided and the supporters, we could conclude that uh, the undecided were somewhat closer to respondents who opposed death penalty than they were to the others. So they were less likely to have punitive attitudes compared to supporters. They were less likely to recommend death if uh, they had been elected a lay judge. They had a significantly higher level of institutional trust. However, they are less likely to trust the police. They are less likely to want to be involved or to serve on the lay judge system, and they are more likely to be women. So they, as I said, in, in many respects, they are closer to those who are the undecided, they are closer to respondents who show opposition to death penalty. It's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you very much. An intriguing element of your study, as you mentioned earlier, was the new citizen judge panel, uh, something similar to the jury system in the UK or USA, asking respondents whether they would recommend the death penalty if on the panel. Your findings suggest that despite the majority of respondents being retentionists, more than half expressed a reluctance to seek the death penalty. So um, I was just wondering, how do you explain this? Well, I, I can only guess. As I said earlier, you know, the, the majority of the respondents show no interest in supporting the system, which is not surprising. Uh, there, there is a book that was published in, in 2008 by Vinkan Nishimura and White about civil engagement in contemporary Japan. And they are saying that since the early 80s, the overall population involved in civic activities has remained pretty stable, around 25%. Now, to answer your question, that might be Vinkan and, and his colleagues, they argue that Japanese people Johnny hesitates to exercise influence in the public sphere because they're inclined to believe that experts should be in charge of politics, governance, and, and civil service. So that might explain why they were reluctant to participate and also to express an opinion. I mean, it's different when you ask in general if you support something, but then when you are have to imagine yourself actually 
having the responsibility of someone's life, you know, and, and taking a decision that would alter somebody's life, I suspect everybody would be more cautious. So I'm not surprised to see the difference in, in percentages. The fact that they were less supportive of the death penalty. But obviously things change a little bit. In the years that follow that survey, it looks like I told you that punishment seemed to be harsher since that um, less systems had been implemented in Japan. No. I see. Now, being based in the USA, I'm sure you must have thought about capital punishment in America when conducting your research. Are there any interesting similarities or differences that stood out for you in the attitudes towards capital punishments between Japan and the USA? Yes, there are similarities if you look at, at those who support death penalty. So both states have death penalty statutes, and both countries argue that one reason they continue to do that, it's because of the extensive public support, which is very legitimate explanation because in any democracy, you know, the, the policies or law should reflect opinion of the majority. In the United States, however, the support for death penalty seems to be a little bit slower than it is in Japan. And it was a last survey conducted by Pew Research Center in 2021, 60% of the Americans support death penalty. In the years before, because in this country since 1936, their dialogue was conducted and all the time respondents were asked about uh, death penalty if they favor or if they oppose that. And a few years ago, support for the sentence uh, decreased below 60%. So if I remember correctly, in 2017, only about 55% of Americans show support for the death penalty. Now, in Japan, the government is conducting every five years surveys and uh, they include questions about death penalty. And uh, the last one was conducted in 2020. And uh, consistently, those surveys were saying that about 80% of the public is showing support for the death penalty. But I think I mentioned earlier the question that they ask where a little bit strange to me. So respondents had to agree or disagree or select one of those options. And the first one was uh, death penalty should be abolished for all circumstances. The second option was death penalty is unavoidable in some cases. And the third option was, I don't know, you know, I can decide, or it depends, or something like that. And one Japanese scholar who published a book and conducted uh, my study, is her name, who uh, got her PhD in UK, actually, she was saying, you know, that, that it's one thing to ask somebody, you know, do you favor or oppose? It's a pretty clear question. But to say something like death penalty is unavoidable in some circumstances. It's pretty vague, you know, I mean, it's, it's, of course, more people are going to agree with that. But when you restrict the death penalty should be abolished, you know, for all crime, you know, people are forced to be more cautious if they would say yes. 
But something that was interesting at the recent poll, they asked respondents if they were to choose between death penalty and life in prison without parole, what do you prefer? And I think that's the first time that that question has been used. So to me, that's a small sign that something might, might change, that officials you know, uh, took into consideration research that was conducted in, in Japan and the criticism of the researchers like May Sato and, and Paul Bacon made and others. And support for death penalty from 80.7% dropped to 52%. When they had, when respondents had that that alternative answer, so that's one similarity that in both countries the the majority of of the population tend to be supportive of of death penalty. Based on the results of our study, if you recall, I was saying that fear of crime and and victimization, experiencing victimization, didn't differentiate supporters from the undecided from the opponents of death penalty. Studies conducted in the United States also found that those instrumental factors didn't have an effect on on structuring opinions. However, like or similar to studies conducted here, the satisfaction with crime control was predicting support for death penalty. Civic participation in a few studies that look at the effect of this variable on punitive attitudes also found that people who are civically engaged are less punitive than others. And religiosity was again documented in studies conducted in the United States. So, of religious people, even if they are different of opinions. For instance, in, in Japan, you have people who are Buddhist and Shintoist or, or people who practice both spiritual traditions, and they are very different. Shintoists tend to, to support death penalty where Buddhists do not. However, there is some common denominator and individuals who tend to be more religious, you know, they believe in forgiveness and maybe that's why those who or knowledge or report high levels of religiosity tend to oppose death penalty. Regarding differences, research conducted in, in the United States over the past decades, you know, revealed that proponents of the death penalty are more likely to be males, older individuals, whites, Republicans, and persons who identify with conservative religious denominations, so neo-Protestant churches in particular, who tend to be supportive of harsher punishments in, in general. In Japan, however, there are no gender-based differences. Women's opinions were not significantly different from males' opinions. Women tend to, in general, studies show that they are less supportive of harsher punishments and men are. Race in Japan is not a relevant factor, so it couldn't be used here. You know, you, you have a pretty ethnically homogenous population. So other factors like uh, education, socioeconomic status, political attitudes that I mentioned earlier. 
didn't generate differences in opinions like research conducted in the United States does. Something that it's also a little bit different in Japan compared to United States based on opinions, I think that you could see opinions more stabilized in Japan over the years. And I believe interest in death penalty, it's much, much lower in Japan than it is in the United States. And research conducted in Japan on the issue, it's pretty limited. And that might be because the visibility of the measure is different than it is in the United States. Many observers say that that death penalty in Japan is very secretive, that uh, defendants don't know when they are going to be executed, that the morning of the execution they can be announced. Their lawyers or the family, they only announce that the person has been executed after the execution actually took place. So there are a lot of controversial issues And the fact that many of those convictions are based on convictions and many suspect that those are forced convictions. I mean, if you keep somebody for days and days in the pretrial period and at some point they give up, they don't have access to counsel until recently, nobody was recording or videotaped the interrogations of the defendant. So... There are many questions about the process, you know, and uh, even the fact that when they are convicted, they are not considered prisoners, which it's not the case in the United States. I mean, you have high security prisons and where death row inmates, you know, have to be. But in Japan, they are like seven detention centers that are special for death row inmates and They spend a lot of time in solitary confinement and they are allowed about two days a week to exercise. They have the right to have only three books and cannot watch television. And 26% of those on death row in Japan are people who are 70 years old or older. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I remember in 2019, Pope Francis had a four-day visit to Japan, and he expressed his disagreement with death penalty and called it inhumane, and wanted to meet one of the death row inmates who's now like 86 years old. He claims he's, he's in prison since 1968, and he kept claiming his innocence. And at some point, he was paroled and was revoked, because that's something that you don't see in the United States, for instance, Cases here, as a prosecutor, you can try a case as a capital case, or you don't. And those social scientists who oppose death penalty in the United States many times claim that, and I'm talking here about Professor Skiles and, and Vito, for instance, who wrote about that and wrote about the capriciousness of death penalty in the United States. So you have cases that are eligible for death penalty, about 3% of them get death because the process here is just so much more expensive, you know, to prosecute a case as a capital case. It's extremely expensive because of the legal stipulations and because when that happens, you know, you have to bring experts and you have 
the number of appeals that you have the right to. So it's lengthier. So that's why it's much more expensive. So I remember that when I was in the doctoral program, I did a cost efficiency analysis that, that I wish I still have on that penalty. And I found out how much more expensive it was to prosecute a case as a capital case than to put a person in prison for life without the possibility of parole. I don't know what are the costs involved in Japan. I mean, I just couldn't find any information about that. I don't know if the, the officials, they are willing to, to publish anything about that. So there are differences and there are social science research. And as you probably saw or heard, most studies about death penalty have been conducted in the United States because there are more problems here. You know, you, even now, if you look, you have African-Americans in particular that are overrepresented on death row among inmates at the federal and state level as well. And about 1.6% of people on death row has been exonerated. In Japan, there isn't much talk about that, you know, about mistakes. And something that I found strange, and I studied on the long discussion, was that I don't think in the United States you can, somebody who who gets a life sentence and appeals that and then to get death penalty. But in Japan, you can. So you get a life sentence, you know, in the district court and you appeal that because you said, well, I, I didn't commit a crime and it goes to, to the higher courts and they give you a death sentence. So that happened several times. So if you look at those people who are on, on death row, you'd see that they have those sentences reversed. Well, it happened the other way around also, but only three times since 1945, uh, when the Supreme Court reversed some sentences. But most likely, if you take the risk to appeal a pretty harsh sentence, you might get death. So there are differences in the way people react. And as I said, the fact that the support for death penalty decreased from 80% in the 90s to 60 in 2021 could be partially explained, you know, by public's increased willingness to, to follow the international trend that show a steady worldwide decline in the acceptance of death penalty. And Japanese are probably less willing to do that. You know, even if Sato, in one of her studies, where she interviewed people who were supporting or opposing death penalty, found that uh, respondents said that if the government would change a policy, you know, and abolish death penalty, they would support the decision. But there are differences, as I said, because in Japan, there aren't too many studies that actually document the impact of death penalty. Now, at the last survey, when I'm talking about a governmental survey, when people were asked why they support death penalty or why they think it's a necessity, and that's something, the motive that was mentioned at the previous survey as well, they are talking about the, the family of the defendant, you know, that it wouldn't be fair to them, that they are thinking about the family. So 
not so much about the deterrent effect of the death penalty. That was like the, the last reason, which it's, it's very hard to demonstrate. I mean, Professor Amori's study show he found that was no significant relationship between capital sentences rate and murder rate in, in Japan. So in other words, it doesn't matter, as it should be, you know. Some people argue that if you have harsher sentences, criminals would be deterred and people would start committing crimes. Now, in Japan, you had that trend that show for the past 60 years, you have a decrease in murders consistently. In Japan, in, in 2020, there were 929 murders. The clearance rate in, in Japan is fantastic. In the United States, it's a little bit higher, above 50%. In Japan, is over 90%. The conviction rate is 99%. But there are 929 murders in, in Japan, and there are 20,000-something in the United States. But the Japanese still think that crime is increasing, and it's something that it's not unusual because that's pretty much a, a common opinion in other places. But it's strange that in such a safe place, people continue to believe that crime is increasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there may be a correlation in the fact that there isn't a lot of data being published by the prosecution, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Professor Mori, I mean, he identified only three studies, and two of them were published in Japan. But, you know, who... When you do those sophisticated quantitative analysis, the ordinary citizen, once they don't have access to them, and then if they do, they can understand the statistical procedures, you know. And he also found, you know, some serious methodological flaws. But he published in a journal, you know, University of Chicago Press here. And I said, well, I wonder how many... Japanese scholars or people, you know, policymakers are going to read that to look at your findings because it's very hard to determine the deterrence effect of death penalty. I mean, how can you do that, you know? Because you have people who are uh, in prison for life and people who are put on death, you know? And how can you detach the two? How would you know which one was more effective than the other? And in his analysis, he controlled for that. So he was calculating, you know, the marginal effect of death penalty and found no effect. But as I said, he found that with an increase in the rate of life sentences, the robbery murder rate would significantly decrease, which is a very important finding for policymakers in Japan. Again, those are not common events, even if high-rank officials and ministers of justice in Japan, you know, they're saying, well, we maintain the death penalty because there are so many atrocious crimes in the country. And, of course, they're highly publicized, and people see all those stories on TV or on the Internet, and they have a distorted image of reality. And that doesn't happen only in Japan. It happens pretty much everywhere. Okay. Well, thank you for answering all of my questions, Viviana. Before we finish the episode, could you share with us what other projects you're currently working on? Um, well, I am working with several doctoral students, and sometimes I need to, to adapt to their needs as much as I can. 
I am working on a project that is dear to me on a manuscript that I can manage to finish for one reason or another. It's based on a country level analysis. It includes over 180 countries. And I'm looking at the effects of gender inequality on the gender gap in homicide. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. In most countries, men tend to be victims of homicides more than women are. And my research findings indicate that gender equality, you know, that's an indicator. That's a UN indicator, and it's used in many studies. So when men and women are countries where men and women tend to have more equal positions, tend to have a lower murder rates for men and for women. So there is um, a negative relationship between the two. However, something that has been noted years and years ago by a, a Swedish scholar continues to happen, the gender gap, so the closeness in lethal victimization rate between men and women tend to be smaller in some countries and larger in others. And people would suspect, well, yeah, women are more likely to to kill probably in countries that, you know, they have those patriarchal tendencies and women are inferior positions and uh, actually doesn't happen. So in Western European countries have like the smallest gap in victimization between men and women. And regarding Japan, I saved the data before I knew I was going to talk to you, I didn't have to analyze. That's a more recent uh, joint social survey that I found, and I'd be interested to look at fear of crime in Japan and the predictors of fear of crime. There aren't too many variables that, that I use, but probably I would uh, look at exposure to media exposure and uh, the effect on that on fear of crime. Because I suspect that in addition to victimization, which again, you'd expect that people have been victims of crime to have higher levels of fear, but it doesn't happen. It happens in some instances and it doesn't in others. So there isn't a consistency in results. So that's the next study that I will do with Japan. Fascinating. Lots to look forward to then. Thank you for joining me again, Viviana. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. You can find a link to Viviana's research profile in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe on japaninnorwich.org or on your preferred podcast provider for updates on new episodes. Join us for our next episode with Brittany Rapone, PhD candidate at the School of Social Sciences at Oxford Brookes University to discuss pets and animal cafes in Japan as a form of self-care. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you for listening.